Well, we spent the past several weeks, four weeks really, in a series on vision. And uh, this week we are going to continue with that theme, starting a new series, but we're going to continue with the theme really of knowing who we are and what we are supposed to be. We're going to take a little bit deeper dive into that, looking specifically at the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And that series that we are going to be in over the next eight weeks is called Seven, Jesus' Message to the Church. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what Jesus says the church is to be about in order to lay a foundation and to be firm in our foundation as to what we are supposed to be. So who are we? What are we as the church to be? Well, Dwight M. Gunter says this. He makes this observation about the state of the Christian church in America today. Actually, this was a couple of years ago, but uh, not a lot has changed. Um, he says, churches today don't know who they are. He says, churches today don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Churches today are trying anything and everything to be effective. Churches today are bewildered by worship styles and stymied by spectator syndrome. And churches today are confused by consumerism. Of course, that doesn't describe every churches, but it describes a lot of churches because they don't know who they are supposed to be or what they are supposed to be about. Meanwhile, there's a lost world that's out there in desperate need of a Savior. And that's what we're called to do. Along with many other things, we know we're called to share the gospel, to win the lost. And so if we are confused by all of these other things, distracted by all of these other things, then we're not going to know what to do. We're not going to be fulfilling that purpose. Thankfully, though, Jesus anticipated these problems. Uh, and he gives us the answer to these problems in these letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And we're going to explore these letters over the next eight weeks, as I said, with an introduction today. If we're going to fulfill our vision, if we're going to fulfill our mission, if we are, are going to implement the strategy that we've talked about over the past four weeks, then we need to understand what Jesus has to say about his church, what we are to be, and just as important, what we're not to be about. And he addresses all of this in these letters. There was a study a couple of years ago that concluded that half of the studies that you read about in the news are wrong. And there was, they used an example, two stories, same publication. These two different stories, again, same publication. One story concluded this, eating five fruits a day, as advised, doesn't help you at all doesn't do you any good. Same publication, different story, eating seven fruits and veggies a day saves lives. So I guess the extra two fruits and veggies makes all the difference. Or there's something wrong with their research. And one found uh, some findings and one, one writer found another set of findings or more than likely, and this is what the study found, what happens is these, these stories, these news outlets, these reporters, they will find a story, and it's a good story, and there's evidence to show that, that this could be true, so they run with it. They run with the story, only to later find out through research that what they said was wrong. The problem is, is they never follow up with a retraction, or they tend not to, because that's not what sells 
uh, not newspapers anymore, but I guess news subscriptions. And, and in a sense, that's kind of where we are as a church, uh, many churches today. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we're to be about. We do know this. We know that Jesus is our Savior. We know that he died to save us from sins. We know the basics. We know the story of salvation. And, and believe me, that's vitally important. But where we've, where we've failed is the follow-up to that. Uh, the follow-up in terms of how we are to disciple, what we are to be about as a church, what's our foundation, what do we build on. The bottom line is that we tend to cover the main stuff, which the main thing is the main thing, but we don't know how to accomplish the purposes that God has given us. And when we look at these churches in Revelation, Jesus addresses this issue so very clearly. And and these churches, while they uh, apply to every church in every age, they were actual churches. I brought a map of Asia Minor, and that's where they were, this modern-day Turkey. And you'll see each of these churches and their approximate location uh, shown there. So these were actual churches that existed in John's time. So when these letters are written, and the book of Revelation is written, it's written to these churches, literal, physical churches, corporate gatherings that existed in this day and time. However, the letters, while written to actual people, they apply to every church and every age, so they're just as applicable to us today as they were when they were written. And as we move forward into the future of this church, as uncertain as it may be, as we've been reminded of uh, this past week, we can do one thing, and that's to make sure our focus and our foundation are clear and secure. We can stay focused, and we can build a foundation and continue to build on the foundation that God has laid and do it in a way that honors him and in a way that he desires. And these letters will help us do that. Our mission, our purpose, all of that has to be built on the right foundation. And so when we look at this series, let me just start off with the purpose of this series. We need to know who we are and what we are to do as the people of God. We need to know who we are and what we are to do as the people of God. And in order to do that, uh, we're going to begin where John begins. And the very first chapter of Revelation, we'll get into the actual letters next week, but we're going to start in Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave John, who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ and all he saw. The one who reads this is blessed, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep it, keep what is written in it, are blessed, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, the glory and dominion are his forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him, and all the families of the earth will mourn over him. This is certain. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, who is coming, the Almighty. 
So right there, this truth as we begin to kind of sum that up, that, those few verses of Scripture and our purpose of this series addressed to the churches to give them instructions. If we as a church do not know who we are, then we will not know what we're to do and we'll try anything to be effective, which will lead to all kinds of confusion. We can establish our purpose. We can establish our mission. But if we don't have the right foundation, if we're not building on the right foundation, the foundation that Jesus Christ himself has communicated to us through these letters, then we will have confusion. And so let's begin by looking at the things that we are not to be about. There are some things that as a church, as God's church, this church, yes, this this corporate assembly that is Wall Highway Baptist Church, but also the church as a whole, the body of Christ. There's some things that we are not to be. One of those is a social club. I like fellowship as, rest, as much as the next person. One of the things that pains me about what the way we're doing worship today is that I don't get to fellowship with as many of you as I normally would. But we are not, our primary purpose is not to be a social club. Now, Galatians 6 2 does say that we are to carry one another's burdens. And in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. So yes, fellowship is part of our purpose. Carrying each other's burdens is definitely part of our purpose. But we are not called to just socialize. Our purpose is deeper than that. We're also not a service club. Yes, we are called to serve. We're called to care for the needy, to minister to each other, to feed the homeless, to help the helpless, to do all of those things, to visit prisoners, to care for those who can't care for themselves, the widows, the orphans, all of those things. Yes, we are called to do, and social justice is an objective of the church, but there's a deeper calling for the people of God. We're not just a social club. Key word there is just. We're also not a historical society. We have a history, a great history. And like any history, there are really good things and things that probably we'd like to forget about. That's the case in every church. But we have a history that informs our present. We should look back on the past. We should learn from the past. It's our foundation. It's what made us who we are today. However, our view cannot just be limited to the past. And some churches are stuck in the past. We may look back. We may learn from the past. And we may build on it, but our focus has to be on the future. You say the future's uncertain. Well, believe me, I know. There's confusion. There's discouragement. I shared with you at the beginning of this service, I'm tired. I'm tired of all of this. But we do have a future. God has promised us a future. And even if he comes back today, we have a future with him in glory as his church, the body of Christ, at home with him. So we look toward the future always with our eye toward eternity. We're not a historical society. In addition, we're not a sales organization either. You know, we want to introduce people to Jesus, the Great Commission. We want to see people come to Christ, certainly. But we're not selling a bill of goods. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to sell the gospel. We're not trying to close deals for Jesus. We're living the gospel, sharing the gospel but we're not a sales organization. Believe me, some people look at the church that way. That is not what we are. So now that we know what we're not, what is our purpose? When we look into the letters, 
What, what will Jesus, how will our purpose be defined? Well, for, for one thing, absolutely sure, there are a lot of different ways churches implement purposes, but one thing that's common, or a lot of different methods they use, but one thing that's common in all churches is that we are to be Christ-centered. There's no doubt we're to be Christ-centered. We should know that for sure. It's all about Jesus. Look at the phrases that John uses in verses 4 and 5. Go back to verses 4 and 5. John, to the seven churches in Asia, Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming, from the seven spirits before his throne, especially verse 5. Pay attention to this. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. It's his. The whole earth is his. To him who loves us and set us free from our sins by his blood. You can't help but pay attention to the phrases that describe Jesus in these verses, especially verse 5. I mean, it's focused on him. He is the main character of this book, no doubt about it. He's at the center, and he should be at the center of the church. It is Jesus Christ. It is, he is the one who freed us. The, whole, the earth is his and everything in it. He created it. And then when we were lost in sin, he freed us. He set us free. He's the one who did that, and he is the one who made us. It was his idea. And guess what? The church is to be focused on Christ because the church belongs to him. It is his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not our church. It's his church, and we can never forget that. The church is his. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will build my church. He's not talking about buildings and facilities here. Listen, those are important, and we need to take care of those things. But he's not talking about building a building. He's talking about building a people, a, a, a body, a group of people. This is about you and me, the community of faith, the church that exists, whether we're inside the walls or out. And I'm going to tell you that's something that's brought me comfort this week to know that regardless of whether we're in this building or outside of this building, we are still his church. And we will be his church, even if we can't meet together for a Sunday or two. It's his church, which means it's not my responsibility to hold it together. It's not your responsibility to hold it together. It's his responsibility. And he said very clearly, I will build my church. It belongs to him. So we need to make sure we keep him at the center. If we want to make it through this, if we want to get on the other side of this and survive, not only survive, but thrive, we've got to keep him in the center of this church. How do we do that? It begins by me keeping him in the center of my life. I've got to be at his feet daily. I've got to be living in fellowship with him, in communion with him. We as a body have to be living in communion with him. We have to keep him at the center. This is the church that belongs to Jesus. Another purpose, we are to be Christ-like. If it's his church, he's at the center, we are called to be like him. We are called to be his representative to the world, his representatives to the world. Our character is to be Christ-like. Look again at the description of Jesus in verse 5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. You want to know what to be like? Here's a good description, a faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead and ruler of the kings of the earth. And yes, we will reign with him one day. But, but he loves us and he set us free from our sins by his blood. We are to represent that 
to the world. We have been set free and we are his witnesses to the world to share that. Sin is first and foremost a relational issue. And when we were lost in sin, that relationship with God was non-existent. It had been broken completely by sin. So what did God do? He sent Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, to die for our sins. He never sinned himself. He was perfect. He was spotless. He died for your sins, for my sins, so that we could be forgiven and set free from sin. And in being set free from sin, we now, that relationship that was severed is now reconnected with God. That's what Jesus did for us. You and I are living examples of that, and we need to be that to the world to show the world what it means to be reconciled to God, to be transformed. And what happens is, as we walk in fellowship with God each day, as we grow in our relationship with God each day, we become more and more like him. And so we become a living example of who Jesus is. We are not divine, but we represent the divine. And as we live, the more we live, the more we live faithfully in relationship to God, obediently in relationship to God, the more he makes us like his son Jesus. So we are to be Christ-like, a Christ-like example to the world. We're also to be a kingdom. We're to be a kingdom. You know, there are a lot of strange stories that I come across uh, in just researching for illustrations and things of that nature. And I, f- I found a pretty strange one uh, not too long ago. It was a while back. I hung on to it, but it wasn't too terribly long ago. There was a story about a community of guys, sort of a secret, well, not so secret society of guys for men with long hair. You know, it's one of the things, you know, I, I, I mean, I know men with long hair, but I didn't know there was a society for men with long hair. And they actually have a mission statement, and here's their mission statement. It's to advocate, educate, and celebrate men with epic flows, long hair. And they also sell hair ties. That's just a nice little bonus. They've got a profit thing going on there, which is great. That's fine. I and mean, there's nothing wrong if you're a guy, you have long hair. I mean, more power to you. Uh, we, they're different, though. I think we can all agree that that's different. That caught my attention because it's different. And, you know, we as a church are to be different. I mean, we're in this world, but we're different from the world. But what does that mean exactly? Uh, it's not difference in the way that we look. We might look different, but that's not what we're talking about here's not appearance appearance only we are a kingdom of the living a kingdom of souls that have been set free from sin and that's why john says this in john chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 we are from god little children and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world They are from the world therefore what they say is from the world and the world listens to them We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. We are not from this world. The minute we enter relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our citizenship moves from earth to heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, not in this world. And so we're different. And we are not of this world. And that's why when Jesus was asked by Pilate, he was asked, so you are the king. In John chapter 18, Jesus responded this way. This is my paraphrase, but this is how he responded. Jesus said, yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not like this world. My kingdom is very different. And it is. We belong to a different kingdom. And it is very different. 
Jesus meant here, when he responded that way, my kingdom is different, not of this world. What he means is that the culture of the church is different from the culture of the world. If we look exactly like the world, then there's no difference than what motivation is there for the world to be interested in Christ. Our culture is different. It has to be. We have a different set of standards, a different set of beliefs, a different code of conduct. And that code is defined in God's word. In Romans 12, 2, that's why Paul says, do not be conformed to this age or to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The, the, the purpose of the church is not about conforming to the world, all right? It's not about conforming to the ethics of the world's kingdom. It's about conforming to Christ himself, becoming like Jesus, allowing him to transform us from the inside out, the Holy Spirit living in and through us, making us more like Christ. That's what we are to be about. So we're not of this kingdom. We are of a different kingdom. We have different values from the rest of the world, and our character is to be like Christ's. We are also a kingdom of priests. We are to be his priests, Revelation says, verses 5 and 6. We're priests of the living God. So what does that mean? Look at verses 5 and 6 again. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. The glory and dominion are his forever and ever. So what does that mean? When he says we are priests, what does that mean? Well, let's look at really quickly two functions of the priest, two primary functions of the priest. In the Old Testament, when you look at the priest, he had two primary functions. One was to represent the people to God and God to the people. It was true then, and guess what? It's true now. Uh, We are priests, and one of our functions as priests, priesthood of the believer, every believer is a priest in this sense. We represent uh, God to the people and the people to God. Uh, we, we are to be his representatives. We are charged with connecting people to God. I mean, he, it's by his power and strength. The Holy Spirit is who saves, not us. Don't misunderstand. But one of our primary functions is to connect people to God. And, and that's why that's part of our strategy. Uh, connect, grow, serve, and go. We want to connect people to Christ, and we want to connect them to his church. That's part of our function as a church. We are called to be connectors, to be ministers of reconciliation. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has now committed the message of reconciliation to us. He's living in us, and he's still performing that ministry. He's doing it through us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God's appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So we are, we are representing God to the people. And we, are, we should be at the throne, the feet of Jesus, representing the people to God, praying for their salvation and praying for their spiritual well-being. As priests, our function is to reconcile the world to God. And we do it as if he was actually making his appeal through us, just like he did through Christ. Because as he said, the same ministry that Jesus performed is now our mission. 
is to reconcile the world. We're not doing the reconciling. We're not convicting hearts, but the Holy Spirit in us is, and he's using us. And listen, he doesn't have to use us, but it's one of the great privileges and one of the great mysteries of Scripture that God includes us in the process of reconciling the world to himself. We are ministers of reconciliation. And the world sees that our lives are filled with the Holy Spirit. And and he makes his appeal through us. The world around us, God's word is proven true. And we are truly fulfilling our role as priests. But there's another function. A priest is also called to make sacrifices for the sins of the people. You say, well, the sacrificial system is no longer in place. And you're absolutely right. But what was it that the priest was doing? He was willing... Listen, I'm glad it's not in place because, you know, if you, if you take what I'm doing now and you rewind, I'd be the one doing the sacrifices. And, and it doesn't sound like a very appealing job. I mean, the priest was willing to get his hands dirty so that the people could receive forgiveness. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to get our hands and feet a little dirty so that the lost world will be introduced to Jesus Christ? That's, that's what we're called to do. We've got to be willing to go out into the world. We are, we are not of the world, but we're in the world. And so as priests, our function is to go to the world. The priest was sanctified. He was set apart for a specific purpose, a particular purpose. And he was to reflect the character of God. And he was to be uh, the people's representative to God, to intercede for the people. And and unfortunately, I think a lot of churches, they take that word sanctified, set apart as holy, and they take that to mean that we're set apart to isolate ourselves and to not have any interaction with the world. Uh, You know, we take phrases, we look at at different phrases in Scripture, and we like to isolate those phrases like you're you're, you're not of the world, but we we neglect phrases, Jesus said, that that, that tell us to be in the world. Yeah, we're, we're not of the world, but we're still to be out there. And we are to be his representatives. We are to be willing to go where he leads us to go. You know, a lot of people, though, they, they think that isolation is the key, that separation, complete and total separation. Let's just, let's just, let's just some of the problems with the early church is that they felt like, hey, Jesus will come back any moment, so we're just going to huddle down here. We're going to hide and wait for him to come back, and that's not what we're called to do. Another interesting story, you ever wonder why news anchors all look the same? If you look, if you watch the news, they all pretty much look the same. They dress the same, uh, same hairstyles, makeup, I mean, all these things. And there's actually a reason for that. I mean, they're actually intentional about that. News organizations want their news anchors to look the same. Uh, and, you know, they want their anchors to look authentic, whatever they interpret that to mean, because they know that you and I have various choices of news organizations to watch nowadays, and they don't want us flipping the channel. They, want, they don't want any distractions, so they try to minimize distractions. And one of the ways that they do that is that they make all of their news anchors, there's, there's, there are codes of dress and that sort of thing that they have to make their news anchors look the same. 
So is that what being a Christian means? Is that what it means for us? We all look the same. We all act the same. We just do the same thing. We don't make a splash. We don't, at the risk of causing distractions or, or whatever, we don't make any type of a splash in the world around us. Is that what it means to be a Christian? We don't stand out from the rest of the pack. We just kind of, we have a subtle existence where we don't do much and we just kind of sit quietly, maybe huddle together and wait for the return of Christ, not at all. We are sanctified, we're not borified. We are sanctified, we are set apart, but we're set apart for a purpose. We have a purpose in Christ. Sanctification is all about transformation. We need to understand what that means. Sanctification leads to transformation. But we're not transformed so that we can withdraw. We're transformed so that we can get out there. We're not just to, to form a holy club and, and isolate ourselves. And sadly, sadly, that's where a lot of churches are. Listen, fellowship is great, and we build relationships, we build bonds, and those things, those bonds grow. And the more we spend time together, the more we love each other. But we cannot forget about those who are lost. We cannot forget about those who are not a part of this fellowship. And, and, and in John chapter 17, we see Jesus address this. He's praying for his disciples. And he says, my prayer, verse 15, is I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect, protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I'm not of the world. Jesus is very clear here. You know, there's a power, a force, the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us and through us. And, and he places us in the world, and that, that Holy Spirit gives us the power to resist the temptations of the world, to not be consumed by the world. We are not of the world, but we are to be in the world, and he gives us strength to be able to do that and remain faithful. And he tells us, you know, we have different ethics, different values, different way of treating people than the rest of the world. That's one of the things that makes, that attracts people. Jesus uses that to attract people to himself. We are to treat people with righteousness, with love, with integrity, just as God does. And Jesus says in verse 16, again, John chapter 17, you are not of the world as I'm not of the world, but then verse 17, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. So we are set apart and transformed. But then all one prayer, same prayer, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus connects the concepts. This is an amazing prayer for many reasons, but one of the things that's amazing is he connects the concepts of sanctification being set apart, set apart completely, set apart, and then going into the world. You look at those, and they may seem a little contradictory, but it all goes together. Jesus set us apart so that we could be his representatives to a lost and dying world, so that we could be transformed into the image of his son. And as we are, the world sees that. And we witness by word, but also by our actions, by our lifestyles. Jesus, think about this. He prayed this prayer the night that he was arrested. He's about to go to the cross. Don't you think the most important things are on his mind right now? He prays, Lord, let this cup pass from me. That's, that's on his heart. That's heavy on his heart. Well, guess what else was heavy on his heart? That we, his representatives, his church, would go into the world just as he did. 
It was a stumbling block. The Pharisees didn't understand why he would hang out with tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because he's doing what he's called us to do. He is going into the world. He's not of the world. He never was. He is, his kingdom is different. He's already established that. Our kingdom now is different. The kingdom we're a part of, but we are to go into the world just as he did. He lays that out very clearly. He's saying, God, Father, the, you have sent me to the world. I've been your representative. Now I'm going to fulfill my mission, and I'm going to leave the world. But these that you've given me, these guys that you've given me, these followers of mine, I'm now sending them to do the ministry that I have done over these past three and a half years, however long it exactly was. Over these past few years, I'm giving them that mission. Now that as you've sent me, I send them into the world. I believe God's called the church to sanctify our world. And here's what I mean. I don't mean that we are the one that does the sanctifying. I believe we are his agents that he uses to bring sanctification into the world. And we, we, the way we do that, the way we transform our world is by entering it. We can't do it without entering it. The jails, the streets, getting into the businesses, becoming active in our neighborhoods. We talked about that last week, being willing to reach our neighbors. The reality is we need to get involved in the world because Jesus is involved in the world. Bottom line, he is involved in the world. His presence, he is here. The Holy Spirit is present in his church. He was involved when he was here in the flesh. We have to go into the world just as Jesus did. Again, the Pharisees, they couldn't understand this. And some Christians have a hard time understanding this, but that's what we're called to do. Neil Cole stated, the world is not very impressed with our sacred houses of worship. In fact, other religions have built more beautiful ones. We must let them see something they cannot reproduce, a new life in Christ, a transformed soul. Now that's something the world cannot accomplish and is dying, literally dying to see. Now listen, we cannot, again, hear me, we cannot transform anybody. When I'm talking about us sanctifying, we can't do the transforming. That's not us, but Christ can through us. The same Holy Spirit that lives in us brings conviction on the lost, and he chooses to use us to be a part of that. Again, one of the grand mysteries of our faith, what a privilege it is. You know, going to church every Sunday isn't going to accomplish it. Even following all the right rules isn't going to accomplish it. You know, the only, only the presence of Christ only as we take his message to the world and fulfill our purpose, only will that accomplish the ministry that we have. Jesus came in the flesh. We as followers, his disciples, are now his flesh. We're his hands and feet. We are to be his representatives to the world. Are we willing to get our hands dirty, our feet dirty, in order to share the gospel, in order to reach the lost? Because this is one of the foundational purposes of his church it's to do what Jesus did, but guess what? By the same power that Jesus did it. Uh, we are to comfort the sick. We're to introduce people to the transforming power of Jesus Christ, the love of Christ, to reach the unreachable. And we do it by the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Spirit lives through us. We are members of a living kingdom, one that has a future, and we are now a part of a priesthood that's been given the responsibility, the mission to go back into the world. We must have the faith to enter the world on mission from God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to have faith. We've got to be willing to do it. Are we willing to be his representatives? And finally, if you want to know the purpose of the church, 
The purpose of the church is to glorify God. Um, our goal should be to glorify Him. And we can do that by how we live, how we worship, what we do in the church, what we do outside the church. Everything we do, we should do to glorify God. The last part of verse 6. The glory and dominion are His forever and ever. Amen. He made us kingdom, a kingdom. He made us priests. And He did it all for His glory. Yes, He did it because He loves us. He died because he loves you, but he also did it for his glory. And there's nothing wrong with that because he deserves. He's God. He deserves glory. So our goal should be to glorify him. So when we're talking about glory, what are we talking about? Well, the glory is the presence and the image of God and all that that represents. The different names of God represents the different ways he's manifest his presence, the different aspects of his character, the attributes of God. They, they describe and show us who he is. And what we see of him is a small glimpse of what he truly is. His glory cannot be described in human words. But we, as his followers, should do everything that we can. We, as his church, should do everything we can to represent him in a way that honors his name and glorifies his name, represents his image appropriately. And we represent who he is, and his presence is in us, and by us being here is in the world. The Holy Spirit in his church Think about the ramifications of this. Jesus, as you know, he takes us as we are, lost, dying, sinners, and by grace, he saves us, he, he cleanses us, and he sets us apart. We go into the world while we're still, we, you and I are still being transformed. That's not going to stop till we get to heaven. We're still being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Our character is becoming more and more like Jesus, both collectively and individually. And now our mission, like Christ, as we've just established, is to go out into the world, just as he did, as we're being transformed, to minister to those who are in need, to comfort the sick, to seek and save the lost while he does the saving. He, does, he uses us as a part of that. We go out into the world, just as he did, to see people saved, to bind wounds, to work towards social justice, not the main purpose, but it's part of the purpose of the church, love the unlovable, include the excluded, and befriend, value, and recognize the marginalized and disenfranchised in our society. Those, those dirty, rotten sinners are the ones that we're to go to, just as Jesus did. And so we are called to do that all the while being transformed ourselves. And as we enter the world, the presence of God is in us and then is in the world. When you really think about this, what a marvelous plan God has to use his church to bring about salvation to mankind. He didn't have to do that. But because you and I are a part of his church, we get to be a part of that. And then because he's in us, as we go, he's in us, and we're in the world, the image of Christ is seen in a beautiful way. People from all different backgrounds who shouldn't get along, get along. And we work together, and we accomplish a common goal. All of those purposes that we talked about, our mission, our strategy, our vision, we accomplish that because it's Jesus working through us. And again, Matthew 16, 18, I say to you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. If the forces of Hades can't overpower it, guess what? Nothing else can either, not even a pandemic. We will accomplish his purposes. He will accomplish his purposes. Will we be a part of it? We're going through, literally we're going through this world that, that, that once belonged to Satan now belongs to Jesus. He paid the price. 
We're going, we're infiltrating the kingdom that belonged to him and still looks a lot like his kingdom in many ways. We're called, it was his kingdom. It was of darkness. It was evil. It was sinful. And there is still so much of that, but we're called to infiltrate that by the power of God. And as we infiltrate that, this is what God's called us to do. It's a process. We are being sanctified. We go into the world. He is in us. He works through us. The world sees that. He uses us. He transforms the world. And there are still people that are in need of salvation. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. He sanctifies us, sets us apart, and uses us in the process of sanctifying the world. The truth is our world is in desperate need for a relationship with Christ. And listen, one of the things that this time, this, this, this virus, this pandemic has done is, is it caused our world to confront their mortality. It's caused our world to realize in a new way just how fragile life is. And God can use that. And he can use us if we're willing to show people that, yes, life is fragile, but eternal life can be secured through him and only through him. Our world is desperate. Our world's not hungry for a fake religion. They've seen plenty of those. Our whole world is, is not hungry for churchianity. It's not just about a, a popular church or, or, or an entertaining church or whatever. And there are elements of that in all churches, and there should be. You know, we should be attractive and make ourselves attractive so that we have the opportunity to share the gospel, but we can't forget that's the main purpose. Our purpose is to share the gospel. We want to know what the problem of the church is today. We talk about it. We debate it. We, we like to talk about it in our small groups, and we like to, to, to discuss it or post things about it on Facebook. What's the problem? We want to know. We, we, we need, if we really want to know, we need to read the letters. We need to look at the letters because nothing really has changed it may manifest itself in different forms, but everything that Jesus addresses, both the things we're to be about and the things we're not to be about, it applies today. And over the next eight weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into these letters seven weeks after today. We're going to dive into these letters, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say about what we are, what the problems are that may need to be fixed, and what the things that we're doing that are strong that we need to build on. We're going to identify with these letters at various levels and in different forms, our world is desperate for people who authentically represent Jesus Christ. They are desperate for the God, not just any God, but the God. And we have what they're looking for. People in our world long to see what people have always longed to see if they're honest, and that's God in the flesh. And while we are not divine, he lives in us. We are his hands and feet, and we can be his representatives. All they want to see is God alive and breathing, to know that he's real, to know that he's alive, and to know that, he, that there's hope beyond this life, especially right now. And we have the opportunity to show them that, yes, he is alive, and yes, there is hope, but we have to represent him well. So how do we do that? Well, I want to show you one way to represent how not to do that and how to do that. When you look at, at my little science experiment here, uh, there are a couple of different things that I brought today. Uh, one of the things that I brought is powdered milk. Now, I've tried to get my kids to drink this, but they don't want powdered milk. I don't know why, 
but, but uh, it's just not very appealing to them. But I also have, here's some vinegar. I just got the powdered milk in the bottom of the, the, the glass here, and I've got some vinegar. And some of you may know this, but, but when you pour vinegar in powdered milk, guess what happens? Well, that milk, or any milk for that matter, but especially use powdered milk because it's a little more obvious, it curdles. I mean, immediately it curdles. You know, this is, you ever heard the, uh, the children's uh, poem, I guess? Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and whey. Well, that's what this is, curds and whey. So if you want some, I'll save it for you. But it's, it's actually the curds are, are the little chunks of milk. And I don't know, David, maybe you can kind of zero in on this a little bit. It's pretty gross. The, the curds are the chunks and the whey is the vinegar. So you can, you can have a snack later if you choose. But you know, a lot of believers are like this. They curdle. Maybe they receive the gospel. Um, They want to serve God, but they just, under the pressure of the world, they can't make it, and so they just curdle. And, and listen, it's pretty, pretty, and it smells pretty bad and looks pretty bad. It's not attractive at all. But, you know, you've also got some people, and, and what I have here in the bottom of this glass is some baking soda. And if you've ever built a volcano, you know what's about to happen here. But uh, some believers are like this. They hear the gospel, and boy, they get excited, and they just overflow with excitement to begin with. But what happens now? It just kind of fizzes out, fizzles out. You know, some people are like that. They get excited. They want to serve the Lord, but they're not in the Word. They're not faithful in the Word. They're not surrounding themselves with other believers. They're not serving inside and outside the local church, and their lives just kind of kind of fizzle out. You know, other people are like this oil here. And yes, they receive the word of God and they receive Christ, but they never do what's necessary to truly be transformed. Their lives are not merging with God's plan for them, and they're not allowing the word of God into their lives to transform them. And so there's a distinct difference. Many people try to live their lives the way they did before they were saved. The problem with that is that what's eventually going to happen is what, is what has happened here. The oil rises to the top. Well, guess what? You can't battle the flesh. You can't live in the flesh and in the spirit. Eventually, the flesh is going to win out. And that's a lot of people are living, a lot of Christians are living defeated lives. But then I have water here. I pour the vinegar in water. Guess what? I can't tell the difference. I mean, smells like vinegar. Wow, it smells like vinegar. I mean, it looks like the vinegar, right? But there's water in here. So what's happened? Well, the two have combined. So much so that you can't tell the difference. This is what we're called to be as believers. We are to look and act to live so much like Jesus that when the world looks at us, all they see is him. We are the fragrance, the aroma. We are the example, the representation. We are not him, but we sure should look like him. So the question that I ask before we get into these letters, before we really dive deep, the question I want to ask you is, are you truly authentically representing Christ in your world? Because if each of us don't do it individually, we will not do it as a church. So we ask ourselves, what is it? If I'm not, what is it? Which one of these do I identify with if I'm not representing Christ to the world? We're just going to take a moment and have a time of prayer. And and, and I want you to just allow God to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and show you if there's an area 
where you're falling short. Maybe it's because you don't know Christ at all. You don't, you don't, you, these glasses don't represent you because these glasses represent different types of Christians and you're not a Christian. And you need to invite Jesus into your life to forgive you of your sins. And you can do that right now where you are simply by calling out to him and asking him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. And then I'll tell you what you need to do next in a few moments. But for the rest of us who are believers, let's just take a moment and talk to God about what it is that he's called us to do. Father, we come before you and we know, we know the purpose you've given us. We may lose sight of it. We may forget at times what we're supposed to be, what we're, who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be about. But you have communicated very clearly who we are to be and whose we are. We are yours. We are your church. And each of us representatives called as your priests, your representatives, your ambassadors to a lost and dying world. Lord, I pray that we would be strong in our faith, in our lives, that we would live for you that we would do the necessary things, the spiritual disciplines that we've talked about, growing in our faith, spending time in your word, living in communion with you, serving, using the gifts and abilities you've given us, that we would do it faithfully, not perfectly, because none of us are perfect, but faithfully. And when we do fall down, Lord, that we would run to you and allow you to pick us up and restore us so that we can continue the mission that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would each take this opportunity right now to evaluate where we are spiritually. Where is it that we fall short? As we move through these letters, help us identify with the things that we need to build on and the things that need to change. As we enter a new chapter of ministry, but a new chapter of our world, we want to be prepared. We don't want to miss this opportunity. We know that you are a God who is intentional You have allowed this to happen for a reason. You do not create sickness. You do not create suffering. But you are in control, and this has happened for a reason. And we don't want to miss that reason. We don't want to miss being a part of what you are preparing us to do. Help us not to lose heart. And help us not to lose sight of who you are. And the fact that you are God who is still on your throne. You are still in control. And you still want to use your church. As long as we are here, there's a reason, there's a purpose. And I pray that we would dedicate everything that we are and everything that we have to fulfilling that. But it begins with me. It begins with us individually. Are we willing to be faithful? Are we willing to be transformed? Are we doing what's necessary to be in a position to be used by you? Lord, just speak to us. Show us. Show us what you're doing. Show us where you want us to go. Wherever you lead, we will follow. Our desire is to please you. May this church and may our lives glorify you in a way that you deserve. Everything that we do, may it bring glory and honor to your name. We thank you for including us in your kingdom work. What a privilege, what an honor. May we never lose sight of that. May we never take it for granted. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.